Welcome to the Attentive Heart Podcast, where we explore how an integration of mind, body, and spirit make us whole and enable us to become more compassionate to ourselves and to others. I'm your host, John Grabovich. First off, I mean, like this character of Peter Marin, I mean, like, who is this guy? Uh, James, I know that you have a great love for him. Um, and I'm sure there's a lot of people who don't know who this guy is. So so maybe you give us a little bit of a window into Peter Marin and how he's inspired you uh, to take on this path of voluntary poverty. Yeah, so Peter Morin is, uh, Dorothy Day is, primarily the, the, the best known figure um, from the Catholic worker movement. But um, Dorothy Day even called Peter Morin the founder of, of the Catholic worker. And the whole platform from the newspaper to the plat, you know, House of Hospitality, Clarity of Thought, Catholic worker farms, that's kind of the, the, the base, you know, the three pillars of the Catholic worker. Those are all his ideas. Um, mm-hmm. so he, he was a, Born in the, in the south of France in 1877, he's the eldest of 24 children Amazing. from a very, very small town. Um, I think his family though, was the town. <laughs> oh, gosh. I mean, I, it's maybe 20 families. Um, wow. Wow. And it, yeah, it's, it's more of a, a village than a town. And uh, he became, he ends up becoming a Christian brother and a teacher in Paris for a while. So he becomes as, pow- as educated as a peasant could be, because that's really what they were. They were uh, farmers, cattle, mm-hmm. cattle mm-hmm. sheep farmers. And um, so he becomes a Christian brother. He's living in France. He does his military service around the turn of the century. Uh, you have to go back for training. He goes once or twice, and then he goes AWOL. And he leaves uh, France in 1909 and emigrates to North America. You know, so he's in, in 1911. He had been homesteading in Canada. His business partner dies. He can't survive um, without a partner. And he's in Western Canada, Saskatchewan. Um, so he ends up coming to the United States. Uh, around 1911, he crosses the border in upstate New York. And... For about five years, he's working very hard menial labor jobs and uh, eventually ends up in Chicago uh, around 1915 and finds, you know, a degree of success anyway, as a French teacher. And we know at some point in his life, he had stepped away from being Catholic. He said he did not live a very Catholic life. What that meant, no one really knows. But around 1925, he has a big conversion or some sort of conversion takes place and he leaves Chicago and moves to uh, upstate New York, Woodstock, I think. Mm-hmm. And he begins kind of embracing voluntary poverty. He begins, you know, charging whatever people can pay for his French lessons. And he begins to really study, you know, the fathers of the church. And, you know, we think he begins to develop the program of the Catholic worker. Um, extremely well-read. Uh, the, the the president of 
America magazine said that he was the best well-read person he'd ever met. And he wrote these things called easy essays, um, which are very, takes very complex ideas and kind of compresses them into funny, short, you know, kind of almost like poems uh, where he, you know, he criticizes economic systems, you know, capitalism and communism. He's, uh, he, he writes about. I am just completely intrigued by voluntary poverty. Uh, it's something I wish I could just jump head in on right now. I mean, I, I don't know how to do that. I'll, I'll admit, but I am a, someone who really likes the whole notion of practice, meaning that, you know, to, to say that you're a follower of whatever XYZ, or in, in this case, to say you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I mean, what is your practice that embodies who it is and what it is that you're following? I mean, for most Catholics, I guess they would maybe say, well, it's a very devotional life. So it's going to mass and, and, and different types of devotions and, and prayers and whatnot. But, you know, I think practice is something that really requires a, a full mind, body, spirit integration. It requires uh, you to be so mindful of what it is you're doing each day to see if it actually is living what it is that you say that you are following, you know, to, to follow the master, to follow Christ puts a certain type of demand on you, but it's not, but once it's lived, it's no longer feeling like a burden, but it truly is um, been taken by him. Uh, and you're living uh, in great freedom and joy, which I see in both of you, which is why I think it's so connected to the practice of voluntary poverty that you both have embraced. So, you know, if you frame it on that lines of what the practice is, what does it really look like for you? How do you live your life? How, how does the day-to-day -day go? You know, you, you both cl clearly have a place to live. Where do you get your food? How are you able to kind of navigate just living in society um, and having, and, wh and what are your bills? And then like, cause these are the, the little nitty gritty things that, that really become big hangups for people in embracing certain practices. So give us a window into that so that, you know, it's maybe not as crazy as we may think it is to embrace the life that you're, that you're living. Yeah, I mean, I so I live next to a soup kitchen that serves a meal twice a week. So I mm -hmm. have a lot of soup. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, uh, there, there's, there's also a food pantry here. Like when I host hospitality, they bring their own food. They, 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 they bring, um, you know, so the, the guests bring it. And right. I haven't really bought food as groceries in in over eight years, um, you know, maybe here and there I have, but I, I think the practice also, um, you know, every morning Renee and I meet at seven forty-five, and we start our day off, you know, at, uh, with, with morning prayer. Mm -hmm. And then there's, there's an eight thirty mass, um, that we go to as well. Um, so I think, yeah, I think prayer and, you know, you know, the spirit part of the mind, body and spirit, I think we both put first in, in, in a sense. And, you know, when I, when I first moved to Chicago, I didn't have money. I didn't, I had nothing for like two months. 
yeah, like I had to beg. I had to beg the worker for food. Um, I had to go down to the food pantry and I didn't know anyone. Everyone's like, why is this guy down here begging? <laughs> why you know, is this I, handsome white guy down here begging? That's the real question. <laughs> yeah. I walk more than I take public transportation. I mean, I still take public transportation. In New York City, I jumped a lot of turnstiles. It's really hard to do that in Chicago. <laughs> um, and um, I just try, I've created a life where I need very little money since I work for a church, any, uh, any costs that I have for any events and things like that are covered anyway. So, um, you know, for the first time in eight years, I get paid an hourly rate. I'm, I'm a part-time employee. So I actually have a few bucks. Um, you work for the church, you're living in, a, you're living in voluntary poverty anyway. Right. So yeah, I think the transition from like a Catholic worker to being an hourly person, hourly wage person has been, um, yeah kind of shocking. Like I have a bank account for the first time in eight years. Um, wow. Congratulations. So I, I, again, like being poor and choosing to be poor, you, it, it demands creativity. It demands um, humility. You have to ask for help and, and it just, yeah, you, you streamline your life for the, for, for the means that you have. So that's, that's how it works for me. I mean, it's not really yeah. that um it's I mean also James you've also like the process I feel like for you the process of like shedding a bunch of stuff happened eight years ago and yeah. or, like seven or six years ago so I started when I started dating James I started getting rid of my credit cards credit cards are just like a very unsustainable way to live and even if you are using them where you pay them off every month there's mm -hmm. something about the form itself of a credit card that encourages you to spend money you don't have. Right. Even if, even if you do right. have it or you're not spending it beyond your means, like, yes. and once I started becoming a freelancer and stopped having a steady income, it was like, oh, this is a very stressful, bad way to live where mm -hmm. I don't have the discipline or I'm used to like living a young adult, like bougie life in New York city, but that's not the life I live anymore. And I've started to slowly get rid of the credit cards that I have. And I think it helped create this discipline of saying like, oh, like I can't do that. Like I can't come to that bachelorette party or I can't, we can't go to this event or yeah, we can't go to the Tuscan vacation in Italy. Cause like, <laughs> there's no money. There's just like, I can't physically pay for it. So like, right. I can't. And I think that's, that can be hard sometimes, but it's also, it's just so helpful because it just relieves a bunch of stress. When I was freelancing and paying a New York City rent, that was like a little more stressful. But then I look back and I'm like, every month the rent got paid. Like it through kind of like, I don't know, sometimes various little miracles. Sometimes I ask people for help. Like I, I had conversations with like one of my good friends from Notre Dame. I remember talking to him and he's like, Renee, if you ever need me to pay for your rent, like I will do that. Like, just let me know if you need me to like trip in a few, like, like you can ask for help, which is something that like my Notre Dame friends and I don't talk about. No one's like, yeah, I need to borrow a thousand dollars for my rent. Like those are very taboo conversations. So sure. I feel like it opens, it opens up a space of vulnerability in a new way. And I think one of my favorite stories was moving into the worker in Chicago. Cause I had not decided that I was going to move into the worker when we packed up my apartment in New York and put it in a storage unit. 
And so we rented a too big, it was too big. We rented this big truck to move my storage unit stuff to Chicago. And on the way there, I was like freaking out. I was like, James, like, I cannot roll up to the Catholic worker with a huge, like (laughs) 10 foot budget truck of like, this is all my stuff. Like that is so embarrassing. So we like stopped at the Salvation Army in South Bend. And I just started like throwing things out of the truck. But then James would throw things out of the truck, and I was like, put that back. I want that. (laughs) (laughs) This is such a great story. It reminds me of like when I went into the monastery and I showed up with a a (laughs) (laughs) U-Haul. I mean, and and the reason why is because I had all these books, which ended up being in the monastery's library, and they're still there to this day. But like it was still so embarrassing thinking, oh, here I am like, you know divesting myself of all my material possessions and I'm just bringing them with me actually. You know, I mean, you know, there's, there's so many things like uh, funny, probably stories about, you know, making this transition to a life of voluntary poverty and I'm sure it's still a work in progress, but you know, I'm sure a lot of people are just like hearing this and they're thinking, okay, well, it's nice that you can do this, but the reality is, is that you're, you're not necessarily changing the system uh, because you all need people in the world making money and giving you uh their profits so to speak or their excess in order for you to have this life that that you so desire to have with as being a person who's voluntarily taking on poverty so you need wealth in the society in order for people to be poor so so to speak and to live a life that they want to live so like how would you address people who seem to be struggling with that you know, by saying, well, why don't you just simplify your life? Why, why do you have to essentially be milking off of people who are making a lot of money in, in, in society? I mean, because I'm sure this is the first time you heard people being critical that way. But I mean, do you make sense of that? Or how, how do you negotiate that? I mean, first, I would say two thoughts that immediately come to mind. I'm sure James has more thoughts that are more eloquent than this. But one, I think it's the poor who are the most generous. When I think of the people mm, who... Yes give the most to the worker it's people who have freaking nothing who don't have a roof over their heads who like have given me food to eat who like bring us groceries from the food pantry so I think honestly and like I've talked about this with a couple ladies at the worker where they were talking about what it's like panhandling and she's like yeah like it's always the people who don't have anything who like buy me food with their link card instead of the people walking into the whole foods with you know half a million dollars in the bank who like are who are generous so I think right and James says this all the time too like the poor are the most generous and second I think there is so much waste in the United States mm-hmm. the amount of food that gets wasted is criminal like all of us could yes so I feel like it's less that we're surviving off of I mean there are generous donors who give money and I and you know some of them perceive that as a way of you know they do not have the comfort time ability skill whatever to build it's almost like I think it's less necessary to have money to rent a house than people so it's like I I think if no one ever donated anything but people showed up and said I want to participate in this mission it would still run right but it's it's the people who make it run if they some of them give up their money and that's great but like if all we need is the people and the people were like I want to participate in this vision of creating a community where there is less suffering where it's easier to be good where people are housed where like all our human dignity is honored I think that this mission would still run 
the house could run without money for sure. It would need toilet paper. <laughs> That's probably the thing that mm. we spend the most money on. But mm. yeah, just people are, there's so, I think that's one thing I've realized is like, there's so, there's so many levels of like, so for example, we get a lot of food donations from Trader Joe's and we can't even use it all sometimes that week. So it's like, we're trying, we go and we like get this Trader Joe's cast offs and it's like, okay, we have so much food from Trader Joe's. Imagine the food that's coming from other grocery stores, Whole Foods, Aldi, like all these other grocery, Target, like all these big grocery stores, James took me the other day to get up they go begging for food at this wholesale supermarket down in the southern part of Chicago Mm. they get food for the food pantry and the soup kitchen and there's so much food there right there's so much food that's going to waste and there's so much food just like the food pantries that then get all that cast off food and then that food goes to waste so that it's like there are so many basic necessities that are just wasted in the United States that once you begin to say okay like I'm not going to just pay for everything that I need I'm going to find other ways of getting it you realize I might not have to put all the need that I have that might get juiced into this economy via paying for something Mm -hmm. through this exchange of like paper currency for a good I actually might be able to find that thing not through that like financial exchange but through this sort of other uh, means like so there's a Catholic worker house that talks about the communion economy Simon Fay um we had a t- round table at James's where a Lincoln Rice, who edited the book of Peter Morin's Easy Essays that most recently came out, talked about the village economy, right? So it's a way of like rethinking about what an economic, I think voluntary poverty is important spiritually for this sort of practice of dependence it raises, raises in you. And also it's important sort of socially, because you begin to rethink about what your solutions to a lot of problems would look like. Because once you're practicing voluntary poverty, I think you realize how much there is for you to work with. Like, I think if anyone listening to this is like, I feel compelled to donate to the Catholic worker, but instead they like just showed up, that would be a richer gift for sure. Yeah, that's going to lead me to how we're gonna I would like to wrap this up but but James before we, we do that I mean what 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 more do you have to add about about this whole understanding that you know in order to be poor you need the rich yeah I think um I don't think it's a matter of you need the rich the rich the rich need the poor and mm. the poor need the rich as well but I think yeah I always think of this idea of hospitality and encounter and you know that's that's what a catholic worker is it's 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 kind of like a place it's like an exchange program you know like people come from different places different socioeconomic backgrounds they come together and they have a meal and and they get to learn more about it and i think you know i think what dorothy day and peter morin were really promoting was this idea of hospitality and that there would be a christ room in every house and and so it's not it's not like you're evil if you're rich or we depend on you know the scraps uh, you know from the table of the rich. Um, I think it's more about creating a culture of encounter, where uh, you know a person who has a big empty house is willing to say, yeah, I'll I'll take a refugee family, you know, and and it's not even we're not asking people to take, you know, the really tough situations that. Oftentimes we encounter, you know, addiction, mental illness and things like that. But there are, there are many people in need of hospitality 
And, and I think the idea is that this encounter will convert you, will soften your heart. And, you know, you'll begin to see yeah, the things that you have, maybe you just don't need, maybe you don't need that second home in the country or that third car in the garage. And, you know, maybe, maybe you can start thinking about, you know, what is the best use of this money? And, you know, what is for, you know, how can this be used for the common good? That's really what's most important is how can we get people to think in, in terms of using our, our excess for the common good and not just being like, oh, we're dependent on, you know, like the rich need the poor to get to heaven. You know, I mean, that's, there's a famous quote from some cardinal in Chicago that they always, they always quote it, but like, <laughs> it's, I think it's Cardinal George. Okay. Um, the poor will keep you from going to hell. Um, is basically what, what he said. I think that's, you know, not, not to make it that extreme, but yeah, it's, Jesus is clear, you know, like I've never, I was thinking about this today with the Eucharistic revival. I just read this article in America and we will take the bread of life discourse very literally, right? I mean, that's like the Eucharist is the source and summit of our, our, our faith. But, mm -hmm. you know, when Jesus tells us to sell everything and come follow him, you know, we won't take that literally. And I think there's just a relationship between poverty and the Eucharist and um, that that's that's there that needs to be explored in mind. And I, I think it's better to look at in terms of, yeah, how can we convince, how can we convert each other to soften our hearts and use our talents, our treasure for the common good? Well, I mean, it's a great way to kind of really uh, even end here. But before we go, I was just going to ask you, both. So if, if people are listening and they're taken by what you're saying, or at least somewhat intrigued by it, uh, where would you lead them next? Is there something that's a good source of, of something to read? Is there a place that they should go? I mean, wh what would be the next step in a person trying to explore what voluntary poverty may look like for them personally and how they may just get a little step closer to that practice? I, I think Dorothy Day's on pilgrimage articles that are easily accessible online are a great place. Yeah, um, and, there, and there's collections of them all put together now. So. Yeah, there's there's yeah. there's books. Um, you know, most people are kind of introduced to the idea if at least most Americans, um, if they've read her, you know, The Long Loneliness by Dorothy sure. Day. Sure. Um, I don't know that there's one definitive book that I could recommend. Um, just try it, sell everything and see what happens. <laughs> I love that. I Renee, you got, you got anything for us to wrap it up? I have a, a five-step plan. No, oh. I think, <laughs> no, I, I think like let us dream by Pope Francis is yeah, wonderful. Peter Morin is a reading Peter Morin and Dorothy day together can be really helpful. They, they worked, they work as a great team. So I think, yeah, Dorothy Day is writing for the newspaper, looking up the Catholic worker newspaper online. Um, and even just, I think so many things that may not seem important, but can, like I started banking at a credit union instead of the Wells Fargo account that I got when I was in college, you know? So it's like, yeah. okay, that's a small step toward justice, supporting a local bank where you know the names of the tellers, um, get rid of your credit cards. Um, give away a bunch of clothes in your closet. That feels really good. So I think one thing that always bothered me when I lived in New York, and this is maybe something people feel in San Francisco or, or in New York, right? Just like we all encounter the poor on the subways. 
And so just, you know, really like not letting yourself like grappling with those encounter, you know, because yeah. we also wonder like, how do I help them? What do I say? And like, right. as you said, sometimes folks are not in a state of sobriety to be able to engage in a conversation, but, you know, just saying like, I think James said this once when someone asked us how we encounter people on the street who ask for money, you can just, you know, say like, Hey, like, what's your name? You know, like, hi, I'm, you know, I'm Renee, I'm James, like right. I'm John, like, what's your name? Like, oh, okay. You know, I don't have anything for you. I'm so sorry. Can I pray for you? Like, you know, what can you do what you can't, you know, sort of like being, creating that culture of encounter of saying like, I may not be able to like meet this need right now, although you might be able to, if you push yourself, right. But saying like, sure. I might, I, it's not important that I'm, I'm not a help machine. What I am as a person and counting another person. And how do I like remind myself and that person that we're, that we're brothers in Christ encountering each other, brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah. Well, I love it. Uh, thanks so much for, for uh, spending some time here with me. I mean, and I uh, can't wait to, for all of us to get together in Chicago. My plan is to be out there this summer. So um, I, I want to see what you're doing in action. Thank you guys for this. And, um, you know, uh, continue to just be attentive to the ways that your heart feels like it's beating. Be attentive to your mind, your body, your spirit. And know that we're all on this journey together. So thank you so much, James, Renee, um, and peace be with you. I hope you enjoyed Father John Gribowicz. He will be back as a contributing podcaster. Please share the Sunday to Sunday Witness podcast with your friends. And if you have comments, send them to me, Anne Mary at SundayToSunday.com. As always, this is Anne Mary Mullane coming from Kearney, New Jersey for Sunday to Sunday Productions.